Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time edition. As the Bengals move on after being the Grinch that stole Christmas from Steelers fans and head to Houston two days after the holiday to face the Texans. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to put a bow on Monday night's shocking win and look ahead to what it's going to take to make it two in a row. My one-on-one player interview this week is actually with a former player who started on the Bengals' 1988 Super Bowl team. And in our Know the Foe segment, we'll find out what's gone wrong in Houston this year from one of the best NFL reporters out there, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered like Santa right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since Darlene Love's annual Christmas appearance on Late Night with David Letterman. For nearly every year from 1986 to 2014 when the show ended, the great Darlene Love performed her signature song, Christmas Baby Please Come Home, on David Letterman's final late night show each year before Christmas. It was always fantastic and helped raise the profile of a 1960s singing great who had never received the stardom she deserved. Even though The Letterman Show has been off the air for nearly six years, the tradition continues as Darlene belts out the song each year on The View. You can check it out by searching for Darlene Love on YouTube. Now, Let's get to football, beginning with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, and we start our chat by discussing Monday's win over the suddenly reeling Pittsburgh Steelers. Think about, all right, Bengals have to bring their A game. Pittsburgh maybe bring their C game, and that's what happened. I mean, Pittsburgh did not play well, but part of that was because the Bengals were bringing their A game. I mean, honestly, they suffocated. The, the suffocating, stifling defense was the Bengals, not the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cincinnati Bengals ran the football. They controlled tempo. They frustrated the Pittsburgh Steelers by running the football the way they did. The quarterback run package, a big part of it. They didn't turn the football over. Cincinnati, Pittsburgh did. Pittsburgh basically flipped the script. They ran the ball down your throat. They didn't make mistakes, and they played suffocating defense. Check, check, check. Flip the script on Pittsburgh, win. So I was thinking about this today, Lap. The Bengals are 3-10-1 with two games to go. Right now they've got the third pick in next year's draft. But if you really go back and look at the early portion of the season before Joe Burrow got hurt, in week one, they threw a game-winning touchdown pass with seven seconds to go. A.J. Green got called for a ticky-tack offensive pass interference. Yep. Randy Bullock missed a chip shot field goal to force overtime due to cramping in the Cavs. There went a win. Calf week, man. Yeah, calf man. Week three, <laughs> seven-point lead, less than 30 seconds to go. Carson Wentz scrambles for a game-tying touchdown. There goes another win. Game ends in an overtime tie. Week six, 21 nothing. second quarter in Indianapolis. Yep. Still up by six in the fourth quarter. Wound up losing to the Colts. Week seven, three different leads in the fourth quarter, including a touchdown pass with 106 to go. They allowed Baker Mayfield to beat them with a TD pass of his own with 11 seconds left. Week 11, they go up and down the field in Washington. Burrow had 21 pass completions in the first half. They had the lead in the third quarter when he blew out his knee. 
That's five games that could have been wins, Mm -hmm. really should have been wins. I mean, those are what just happened type of losses. The Bengals probably should be eight and six with two games to go. Yeah, and that's that would be the best case scenario if they win all the game, all those games. If they only win three of them, they still have six wins. I mean, you know, it's it's not it's not as desperate or as desolate a season as as it sounds. And in all of those wins, I mean, in the Philadelphia game, if Carlos Dunlap had played against the Eagles like he's playing for the Seattle Seahawks, Carson Wentz does not score. Carlos Dunlap makes a play on him. Carlos Dunlap, he was in his mode where. It's not that he couldn't play. He wouldn't play. And they, that whole thing blew up and fell apart. But in that game, I can point to a handful of plays where it's like, come on, man. Just I mean, give some kind of effort. And I'm not going to put that loss just on that play with Carlos Dunlap. But, but, you know, there were other plays in that football game, obviously. But, I mean, if, in fact, he had stepped up to his ability in the fourth quarter in any of those close games when he was still with the team defensively, they'd have a handful more wins potentially. And again, um, it's not all Carlos Dunlap, obviously. I mean, that would be ridiculous. That would be, you know, small to try to put it on a guy that's not even here anymore. But he was a factor while he was here. And because, honestly, when you look at the overall effort, it's not that they're not trying. It's that they weren't playing smart enough football. You know, and uh, you, you can't, when you're, when you're in the situation that the Cincinnati Bengals are in, you have very little margin for error. You can't put yourself on your schedule so often and turn the ball over, turn it over, turn it over. I mean, we're like a bakery. We're making turnovers every Sunday, you know, and giving them to everybody. Um, now, the two games that they won, big games that they won at, at Paul Brown Stadium against two playoff teams, right now playoff-worthy teams, Tennessee and Pittsburgh, no giveaways, no turnovers. If you keep care of the football and then you can get it into the fourth quarter with a chance to win a football game and give your defense a chance to do their thing. And they get takeaways against Tennessee and they get takeaways against Pittsburgh. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the formula. But the formula has been, you know, just basically taken apart too many times by giving the football away. I mean, you just, just can't do it. That's the bottom line. So, you know what also is great about Monday's victory? It's caused major agita. In Pittsburgh, no doubt. I mean, the sky is falling oh, from yeah. eleven and zero to eleven and three. They were hoping and expecting to clinch the AFC North title on Monday night in Cincinnati. Well, now it's a real question mark whether they are going to hold off the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland is one game behind. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh has to play the Colts this week, ten and four. Yep. Then the Browns in the regular season finale. Cleveland plays the Jets this week. I don't see New York winning back-to-back games after beating the Rams last week. Want to listen to something that uh, I heard on SportsCenter. This is former Pittsburgh Steelers defensive back Ryan Clark talking to host Kenny Maine after the game on Monday night. All right, Pittsburgh was the last unbeaten team. Now they've dumped three straight. How far in your eyes have they fallen when you look at the whole AFC playoffs, which aren't too far away? Kenny, who can they beat? You tell me, who can they beat? Can they beat the Colts? No. Right? Can they beat the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs? No. Can they beat the Cleveland Browns? We know they can't beat the Kansas City Chiefs. We know they can't beat the Buffalo Bills. We look at this team play offense. They are playing at such a deficit each game. There is no way that they'll win. Tonight, they were getting stopped behind the line. You couldn't convert third and ones, fourth and ones. 
the pass game was inefficient. There, were, there weren't the drops, but there were the incompletions, the passes that were blown up, the interceptions by the Cincinnati Bengals. They made the Cincinnati Bengals look like an all-pro, pro bowl caliber defense, and they haven't been that all year. And so you think when you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, the Cleveland Browns, some of the better teams in the AFC that the Pittsburgh Steelers can win, they were 11-0, and that was fool's goal. You're now losing players on defense, you have injuries on offense, and you have a quarterback that can't seem to make the right decision when that is what you're expecting him to do. As a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, as an alum, I am sad because I don't see them winning the game in the playoffs. So to summarize, you're not high on the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. <laughs> Kenny Mayne putting the perfect capper on that. So as a Bengals fan, how great is it to hear the Steelers and their fans and their former players just absolutely depressed for a change after losing a game at Paul Brown Stadium? How does it feel? <laughs> you know, it's like, Ajahn, was a great description. And, and I think Rolades had a record sales week. And it wasn't because of overeating pre-holiday food. It's because of the Steelers. I mean, they're just trying to lessen that heartburn. I mean, it, it's, it, it really is, uh, it is amazing to watch the Pittsburgh Steelers, though, offensively, Dan. They're, they're very hard to recognize. I mean, they, they look nothing like they looked uh, uh, before. It's, a, it's almost like an imposter out there. And, you know, now people are saying that the Steelers, it's, it, Ben's done there. They're not going to extend Ben. They're not going to ask him. He's got 40-some-odd million-dollar cap hit next year. What they normally do with him is they say, okay, we'll extend you, and you know, we'll lessen the load there. We'll give you a little bonus money and help us give us some cap relief. And now they're not doing that. They're not doing that with a quarterback like that. I mean, I love it. It's great. How's it feel? I mean, boy, welcome to the real-world reality in the National Football League. It can suck, can it? <laughs> Honest question. Do they win again this year? Colts this week, Browns the week after that. They have clinched a playoff berth. Uh, not the way they're playing right mm -hmm. now. You I know? agree. They're not the way they're playing. And, and you think, all right, well, they'll fix it. Well, I thought they'd try to run the ball against Buffalo. You know, you got to try to run the ball against Buffalo. No. I thought they'd try to definitely run the ball against the Cincinnati Bengals. They didn't do it against Buffalo. No. I mean, I, I guess they feel like they can't run the football. I mean, Connor obviously is a, is a, is a factor in the equation. But I'll tell you, I mean – Running back is Snell. He was far from their worst problem. They had much bigger problems than that dude. That dude ran hard. I thought I'd take him and my team as running back any day. It was, that, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't the issue that Snell was in the backfield of O'Connor. That's a bunch of crap. If that's what they're saying, that's that's ridiculous. Um, and I tell you, that three Pro Bowlers in that offensive line, former Pro Bowlers, getting up there in years. Yeah, they ain't, they ain't playing at that level anymore. And. and Again, you know, we talked about it before. Lawson gives Villain a wave of fits. Six quarterback hits and a quarterback sack. Villain a wave of the six foot eight inch bend at the waist, tower of non power right now. I mean, he 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 got he got torched around the corner quite a few times by Carl Lawson. The Bengals finally beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the guy that led them to victory was Ryan Finley. Statistically. Not exactly dazzling. He passed for 89 yards, completing seven passes in the game. He did run for 47 yards, including a 23-yard touchdown run. But, hey, the guy got the job done. Here's wide receiver T. Higgins on Ryan Finley's performance. You know, I felt like he was way more confident. You know, um, you could tell uh, he was running the ball, you know, really good. And, you know, he was just, just calm during the whole game. And that's what you want out of your uh, quarterback. Ryan Finley was moving on that touchdown run. Did you know he had those kind of wheels? 
No, I did not know you had those. That's that surprised me. So I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad it it worked out. <laughs> Aren't we all? Ryan Finley was timed at 4.65 in the 40-yard dash when he was uh, still a college student at NC State. So he is faster, I think, than most people realize. Now the question is, going into this week's game against Houston, does he start again? Or if Brandon Allen's right knee is okay, is he back in the starting lineup? What do you think? I think if Brandon Allen's right knee is okay, Brandon Allen starts. I think that um, they're limited offensively uh, to what they can do with Ryan Finley. And I think it worked. Uh, defensively, they allowed it to happen. They allowed it to work. If the defense wasn't playing the way they were playing and the Bengals had to throw the football more, there might have been a little more exposure. Uh, but the, the whole thing, I mean, every – you talk about complementary football, the yin and yang of that football game, the defense lifting up the offense, the offense responding, you know, and when the defense gave them opportunity with short fields, the offense capitalized, two touchdowns and a field goal, 17 points on the three takeaways. So that, th those are the kind of things that you have to do to pull off a, an upset like they did. But I do think two things. I think the Texans have to prepare for both quarterbacks. Now they're going to have to spend some time on the zone read and all that sort of thing. So And also it's going to make them be a lot more assignment sound defensively Instead of backside defensive end crashing and pulling Giovanni Bernard down from behind, they're going to have to stay home a little bit, particularly with, when Finley's at quarterback because they've shown they're going to do that. So now they have to spend time in, in preparing for it. They have to make sure their real assignments sound so they might not take as many chances uh, defensively. So your running game with Giovanni Bernard may be better at the point of attack without extra clutter because of other things that you have to concern yourself with in terms of reads defensively so I, there's there's some positive there's some positive trickle down to the next week uh when when an opponent springs something on the, the league like the Bengals did with Finley with a run package nobody I mean Pittsburgh's Tomlin was like I gotta give those guys credit and during the course of the game it evolved Finley said that Zach Taylor during during the game the touchdown run of 23 yards they never practiced that. That run that Giovanni Bernard ran, they never practiced him pulling it and having a read option from the thing. And during the course of the game, <laughs> Zach saw what was going on. He said, look, if, if the backside guy crashes and Highsmith crashed, chased it down the line of scrimmage, if he crashes, pull it and run. That was just an adjustment. You know, and they're getting he's getting killed about not making adjustments, in-game adjustments and all that sort of thing. That was a huge in-game adjustment, and it led to a huge touchdown in the beginning of the fourth quarter, 23-yard jaunt and scamper that uh, was a big difference in the football game. So uh, it's it's very interesting to see how Houston is going to handle it. But I do think that Brandon Allen, if healthy, will be the guy that they'll send out there. So they ran it 41 times last week against a Pittsburgh team that is you know good at stopping the run. This week they faced a Houston team that yeah. has given up 212 yards to Derrick Henry. 138 to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 130 Dalvin Cook, 126 Nick Chubb, 109 James Conner, 104 Kareem Hunt in the same game where Chubb went for 126. They're not stopping anybody. They're not. 150 and a half yards a game they're allowing, 31st in the league. Five yards a carry they're allowing, 32nd in the league, dead last. Teams are efficiently pounding the football on them. The Bengals rushed for over 150 yards against the Steelers, you know, and 40-some-odd of them courtesy of the quarterback. But I, I think that they are going to 
feature, no matter who the quarterback is, the Bengals are going to come out and say to the offensive line, who I think is going to return intact to play in this football game, I think for the first time, though, they'll, they'll come off a, a good performance with an offensive line that is physically and mentally intact to try to do it again. That's the key. You don't just do it once in a while. Do it again and again and again and see if they can control that Houston Texan front, front seven and Giovanni Bernard and company and P. Ryan and everybody involved get after them. Get after them. Run the ball down their throat and make it easy for the quarterback and keep the defense off the football field against Watson. Sean Watson's having an incredible year. Number one in the NFL in yards per pass attempt. Number one in yards per pass completion. He is second in yardage to Patrick Mahomes. Here is Bengals head coach Zach Taylor on the Texans starting QB. Just watching some of the highlight reels of this guy are um, he's unbelievable. He's, he's one of the, the best players in the league. There's no question about that. Every play is alive until you see someone get him on the ground or the ball hits the turf because um, he just extends a lot of plays that you don't think there's any way they can be extended. And, and really the, the, the other person that you see that does that is Lamar Jackson as well. So all hands on deck for this guy, um, tremendous playmaker. We got a ton of respect for him. You know, it'll be a great challenge for our defense. Named a pro bowler earlier this week, third time in his four-year NFL career. He took Houston to the playoffs each of the last two years, won a playoff game last year with a tremendous individual performance against the Buffalo Bills, and now the team has kind of collapsed around him, but he is having an incredible year. He is. I mean, he's a one-man show, and uh, Sam Hubbard earlier today was talking about how hard it is to get him on the ground. 6'2", 215, and he's got unusual strength for somebody that size. He's not a little quarterback, but he's not a big one either. But he has got unbelievable overall body strength and explosiveness. I've heard him referred to as magician, escape artist, fearless, resourceful, creative. He's all of it. I mean, his college coach called him Michael Jordan. I mean, that's, that's about as high praise as you can get. And, Dan, he, he's one of these guys where he extends and creates, and ultimately the play that he comes up with ends up being a better play than what was called. You know, he's, he's one of those kind of guys. And they will live with his sacks. They'll live with the 44 sacks because he makes so many big plays uh, in doing that. The only thing that if he starts throwing a lot of interceptions, they'll probably say, uh, time out, let's, let's revisit this. But, man, on his career at this point, 94 touchdowns he's accounted for. 79 of them are touchdown passes. And then he's had touchdowns rushing, obviously, to 27 interceptions. 94 touchdowns he's accounted for, 79 by air, to just 20. Uh, 27 interceptions. That ratio they're going to continue to live with and let him play the way he's playing. I think the Bears would like a do-over back in the 2017 draft. They traded up to take Mitchell Trubisky, number two overall, and later in that draft, the Chiefs took Patrick Mahomes. Two picks after that, the Texans took Deshaun Watson. Mm, Man, I'm telling you. Yeah, I think they'd want a a do-over, a redo. (laughs) (laughs) Safe safe bet, right? (laughs) The Bengals have seen Deshaun Watson once before. That was his first NFL start. It was week two of his rookie year, Thursday night football, and he led Houston to a victory at Paul Brown Stadium. He wasn't individually spectacular. He passed for 125 yards in that game. Geno Atkins sacked him a couple of times, but he made one big play, and that was enough, a 49-yard touchdown run and a 13-9 win. Uh, That was back in the early portion of the 2017 season when the Bengals could not score a touchdown. Yeah, and and that touchdown run was, are you kidding me? Serpentine. Yeah, nobody's going to get him. I mean, he was like, it was a 49-yard touchdown run, but he probably ran 70 yards. I mean, he was... Zigzagging serpentine is a good word. 
I mean, it was it was an incredible effort by him. The Texans started the year 0-4 and, and whacked Bill O'Brien. And interim coach Romeo Cornell is the oldest head coach in NFL history. He's 73. George Hallis and Marv Levy coached until they were 72. Romeo's first head coaching job was in Cleveland from 2005 to 2008 when the Bengals, Steelers, and Ravens all won division titles. It's similar to what the Bengals are facing right now. So here is Cronell on the challenge of trying to rebuild in a division where the other three teams are loaded. Well, it's hard to compete versus an experienced team who have pieces in place, who have uh, guys who play well together, you know, and now you've got a young team and uh, young talent and you're trying to figure out uh, what they can do well, uh, and but you got to play the games to try to figure that out. And so you end up uh, taking a whipping a little bit, you know, while that goes on. Uh, and so through that education that they have to get, uh, you know, like the third year, we were able to win 10 games in the third year uh, and almost made the playoffs. Uh, so it takes time. It just won't happen overnight. Um, unless you have the pieces in place already, and then you can kind of build on that. But if you have to add the pieces, uh, it takes time to, to add the pieces you need to be competitive. Romeo Cornell does not have a great head coaching record, basically two wins for every, or two losses for every win, 32 wins, 61 losses. But as he mentioned, he did have a 10-win season in Cleveland back mm-hmm. in 2007, and they did not go to the playoffs despite going 10-6. and six. Yeah, uh, one year we went ten and four and didn't make the playoffs. It was there were there weren't as many wild card teams, and uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers went 20, twelve and two, the Houston Oilers went eleven and three. We went ten and four and stayed home. I mean, you know, and what was the loss that year that you're like, how did we lose that game? Was there one or not necessarily? Now I think you know we pretty much pretty much lost to lost games that. You know, it wasn't. I get to really good teams. Yeah, there were no, yeah. there was no guarantee. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't lose to like the one and eight Browns or anything like that. Right. You know, no, nothing like that took place. But, and that's that's probably you know Pittsburgh and Tennessee probably right now are scratching their heads and saying, what happened? What happened when we went to Cincinnati? What happened? We did we uh, did we have something? that we shouldn't have had in terms of food or drink? What happened up there? (laughs) So Romeo Cornell's got this record of sorts, oldest head coach in NFL history. It might not last very long. Pete Carroll's 69 years old. Looks 45. Yeah, he's a, they say a young, he is a young 69 years old. Romeo Cornell, watch him walk. He looks his age. I mean, he's. I I understand what he's going through. I'm pushing that 7-0. That 7-0 is coming sooner than I want. And boy, some some mornings, man, you get oil can. You got to lubricate, man. You got to lube up the joints, man. It's there's it's no joke. Old age is not fun. It's happening to me in the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. Bill Belichick is sixty eight, so you got a couple of guys in Carroll and Belichick that uh, could very easily uh, yep. surpass seventy three as head coaches if they choose to. They're obviously both still very much uh, at the top of their games. Very much so. I mean, and uh, and there's a little bit of a, a connection in history. All three of them. Romeo Cornell and Bill Belichick have a history, and Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick do. I mean, it's it's interesting um, that coaching tree when the when the really prime fruit falls, somebody picks it up, scoops it up, and is going to cherish it for a long time. So the Texans are in the market for a new GM. 
and a new head coach. They've right. already started uh, interviewing candidates. And I was listening to a, kind of a team-sponsored podcast about the Texans earlier today. They are pumping that up heavily as their kind of sales message to the fans. A new day is coming. A new year is coming. We'll have a new coach. We'll have a new GM. It's very interesting to, to hear a team just like openly advertise the fact that, you know, we've cleaned house yeah. and, uh, you know, the new era is about to begin. And I'll tell you, if I'm a general manager or a head coach, my biggest asset, everybody wants to work with Deshaun Watson. If you have that, if you have that as a centerpiece, as a starting point, as a foundation piece, man, you've got something. And, uh, you know, that's the interesting thing, Dan, with, with Joe Burrow. You know, two, two things, two boxes that as we talk about Zach Taylor and what's going on with the football team, Mike Brown is going to think two things. And it's going to be pretty early, pretty high in the list. Has he lost control of the football team? And I think based on the performance that he, he saw going into Pittsburgh, he's going to think he hasn't really lost control of the football team. He hasn't really heard, I don't think, anything internally that would suggest that he's lost control. And what's good for Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow couldn't have been more effusive in his praise of Zach Taylor. So if Joe Burrow is going to line up right behind Zach Taylor and, and push and support him, that's a that's a, a big piece. So, you know, a couple of boxes might be checked in Zach's favor. I'm not saying they're the only boxes, but I'm saying those are a couple of boxes uh, as you're going through the, the evaluation process and considering what to do. Those are significant boxes. Yeah, if Joe Burrow was being honest and wasn't just being nice in, in front of the cameras, and I have no reason to think that you know that wasn't the case. I think he was being genuine. That is a pretty important voice to have in your corner. It really is. I mean, I think he, he really liked working with, with all of them. I think he really liked working with Zach, Brian Callahan, Dan Pitcher. I think he really liked the trio of former quarterbacks and then Joe Burrow putting their heads together and, and coming up with, with game plans, and, and they listened to him and his feelings and thoughts and opinions. Uh, he really liked it. He really liked that whole process. Now time for this week's one-on-one -on -one player interview. And this week, it's a former player. I had a chance to discuss the current team with a member of the 1988 Super Bowl squad who is currently working as an analyst for Pro Football Focus. When the Bengals celebrated their 50th season back in 2017, he was named the 40th best retired player in franchise history, a starting safety on the 1988 Super Bowl team, the great Solomon Wilcots. Always great to speak, Solly. I want to start with a guy on this year's team that plays your old position, Jesse Bates. Where does Jesse Bates rank among NFL safeties these days? Well, uh, in our database, according to uh, Pro Football Focus or PFF, as we have now been rebranded, no, he ranks among the top safeties in the National Football League, particularly when it comes to coverage. Had started off the season very well, but still has maintained his position among the top five safeties in the National Football League. We're talking about guys like Justin Simmons, guys like Minka Fitzpatrick, um, Jamal Adams. I mean, that's that's pretty good uh, company. And so he continues to make plays on the ball. His ability um, to uh, help the defense in pass coverage and lock you down, receivers, tight ends, that's where he really tends to set himself apart. Uh, love to get in, love to see him get a few more interceptions, uh, but he still comes up with the football time and time again. Let's stick with a secondary and another guy having a very solid season, Will Jackson. What do you think of Will's play? 
You know, Will, uh, after last year, having a down year, this year he's been much better. We love to see him get back to some of the numbers we saw him early in his career, particularly when it comes to locking down the top receivers week in and week out. But still, he's a really good cornerback um, and ranking the top half of corners around the National Football League. Uh, I still believe he could be a top 10 shutdown corner week in and week out. We are visiting with Solomon Wilcox. When the Bengals drafted Joe Burrow, you tweeted the following, Solly. Good times are coming to the Queen City. So I know how you feel about Joe. What did you think of his play his rookie year? You know, I was very much impressed. And I think a lot of us who, from afar, we analyzed the game, we critiqued the game um, to the nth degree. And we were very much, I think, pleasantly surprised with the fact that he could handle blitz protection, that he was a born leader, that every single guy um, on the football team and in the huddle and in the locker room sort of defers to him. And the fact that if you take a look at the 10 games that he played, he had them in every single game right up until the end, I think with the exception of maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens game. But the fact that you could see he tilt the competitive balance in the Bengals' favor just by being under center and in the huddle and being the Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. Um, he averaged about 41 pass attempts per game. Uh, I don't know that we've ever seen a rookie throw the ball as much to start a career without going to training camp or preseason in the history of our league. So um, the arrow is pointing up for Joe Burrow. You referenced his leadership. You played with Boomer Esiason, one of the great leaders in franchise history. Do you see some of those qualities in Joe? Very much so. And I always said that uh, that's where I believe Boomer Esiason set himself apart from all the other quarterbacks around the National Football League. He played at a time when there were some great ones. There was Elway. There was Marino. There was Montana. But I'd take Boomer Esiason. I know what kind of leader he was. He was a guy that wouldn't back down. And he was the guy that... Everyone in the locker room would instantly follow. And you could see that from the moment Joe Burrow arrived at Paul Brown Stadium. He was the guy in the room. Everyone knew he was the guy in the room. There was no questions, no doubts about it. And then when he stepped onto the football field without a lot of work, without a lot of lead time, no training camp, no preseason, the fact that he was able to dive into the deep end of the pool and still help this team improve and every single facet of the offense, I think it tells you what kind of player he can be. We're approaching the end of the season. What should the Bengals prioritize this offseason? I think you prioritize one thing. What's best for Joe Burrow? Because what's best for Joe Burrow is what's best for the football team. What's best for Joe Burrow is going to be what's best for the organization. Because I believe the wins will follow. If you improve the offensive line and you protect him, not only does he play better, your running game gets better. Your receivers get better. The overall productivity of the offense is going to get better. If you go out and get an extra receiver, an extra running back, or an extra tackle or tight end, you get better around the quarterback that is Joe Burrow, and now you're going to see his production um, spike to the next level. You also can help a quarterback by improving defense, right? So you don't have to go out and score five, six touchdowns a game, but your defense is getting stops, putting Joe Burrow on the short field after getting turnovers. So I think that's how you have to look at it. Everything you do is how do we play around Joe Burrow? How do we improve around him and help him be better 
That's what the coach did around Peyton Manning when he was a former first overall pick. And you can see that the 10 win seasons just begin to stack up. The final road game of the year is coming up this week as the Bengals head to Houston. The Texans have been much better since they made their coaching change. They started out 0-4. They've been close to 500 since. What are a couple of things the Bengals would need to do to beat Houston in Houston this week? Well, first of all, you got to get pressure on Deshaun Watson. I think he is one of the top and most prolific quarterbacks in the National Football League. This guy is going to be a winner, uh, but you have to put pressure on him. You have to contain him in the pocket because he can break containment and he'll run wild all over the field. He'll make plays. Uh, and then you have to be able to block J.J. Watt on the other side. And that's two of the areas where the Bengals have struggled. One is getting pressure on the opposing quarterback. The other is a protecting our quarterback from the opponent's best pass rusher. So you've got to be able to get after Deshaun Watson and you better block J.J. Watt. Great stuff as always, Sally. Appreciate the time. Happy holidays and thanks for joining us. Dan, happy holidays to you and everyone with the Cincinnati Bengals. Thank you for having me. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for this week's Know the Foe segment. Last year, the Houston Texans won their division, beat the Buffalo Bills in the first round of the playoffs, and led the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs 24-0 in the second quarter before getting mahomes and losing that playoff game. Now, Houston is 4-10 and in the market for a new GM and a new head coach. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle joined Lapp and me on the Bengals game plan show this week, and I asked him... What happened? First of all, uh, go back to the last game of last season against the Titans. The Texans have been behind in double figures six consecutive games, including two playoff games. And when they did it the first four games this year and lost all four, they they fired Bill O'Brien. Now, in fairness to the Texans, they have played the toughest schedule I've seen in 45 years of covering the NFL. Five teams they've played are in first place. The teams they played have a combined record of like plus 45. I've never seen anything like it. Hmm. But still, they have not played well. The only player who's been consistently good is Deshaun Watson. He's having the best season of his career. He's on the on the pace to set personal best in every statistic. He leads the league in average per attempt, even though they traded DeAndre Hopkins. Will Fuller suspended the last five games. Randall Cobb's injured the last five games, no matter who they put out there with him. He continues to play well. Now, one of the things interesting about that is their offensive line returned intact. It was improved last year, and everybody had high hopes for this line coming back. They were ninth in rushing last year. So they were really good in pass protection. Run blocking was awful, and then in the last three games, the pass protection has been awful, too. Deshaun Watson creates some sacks because he holds the ball, but he also gets away from a lot of sacks, kind of like Kudini. It's people are amazed the way he seems to have eyes in the back of his head. And that comes from pocket awareness. But he's now been sacked 40 times, and that's just been a bad habit. And they don't have injury excuses up front like they do on their defense where seven starters, six have been injured and one Bradley Roby was suspended. 
But last year they were ninth in rushing. This year they're 32nd. They are 1.4 yards a game from being the worst rushing team in team history. That would be their expansion year wow. of 2002. And then I wrote a column today. They are on the verge of shattering the team record for fewest turnovers forced. Right. They have eight. If they don't get to 11, they're going to have the second fewest since 1980. Last year, they had 22. The year before, they had 29. Romeo Cornell's first season here as defensive coordinator, they had a team record 34. How many teams have a defensive lineman tied for the team lead with interceptions? Right. That would be J.J. Watt with one. They have three interceptions, also a league low. And one other thing, this team is on a pace to be worst against the run in franchise history. So they can't run. They can't stop the run. They can't force turnovers. Other than that, they're fine. <laughs> well, that's a trifecta there. Can't run, can't stop the run, and can't take take the ball away. Man. Um, when, let me ask you a question about O'Brien. Uh, in a in a two-year period, traded Clowney, traded Hopkins a year apart, didn't get a first-round pick in either of those trades, which – to me, is almost mind-boggling. Not one first-rounder. Is that the biggest reason he's gone, or are there other reasons, or what are the reasons that O'Brien is no longer there? Well, that's nothing to do with Clowney. You know, Clowney had done squats since he was traded from here. The guy they got, Jacob Martin, one of the three players, he's had more sacks than Clowney. Clowney's right. had more surgery. Now he's out for the year. Right. But what the Hopkins thing Watson has played better without Hopkins, and he spread the ball around no matter who they put on the field, utilizes tight ends more. But where they miss Hopkins is down inside the 10-yard line mm-hmm. where they control the ball. Now, Will Fuller was on a pace to have more yards and touchdowns and a better average per carry than Hopkins ever had when he got suspended. And that should have hurt, should have hurt uh, Watson, but I think the only place – He's been hurt is when they get close to the goal line. Defenses do not have to worry about them trying to run the ball inside the five-yard line. They know it's going to be a pass or it's going to be a Watson RPO or a Watson draw. And when you can't run inside the five, you can get to play a whole totally different defense, which is the only thing they don't do in their passing game is score more in close to the goal line. O'Brien was fired because this organization – at the point they were 0-4. He, you can put up, and Dave, you played, you know this, you guys know this. Uh, a coach can scream and yell at people consistently if you're winning. Yeah. But when you scream and yell at other coaches and players and media and people in the office and you're losing, mm-hmm. it goes in one ear and out the other, and it seems to infuriate them, and some of them lash out. And it was just a bad atmosphere over there. People didn't want to come to work. The organization was divided. So when they fired him, this says it all. They fired him 04. They elevated the popular Romeo Cornell, the interim coach. He was associate head coach. And J.J. Watt put on Twitter a picture of the roof at NRG Stadium open and sunshine shining on the field. No, no comment. Huh. And then I asked him the next day when we had him on a Zoom, I said, were you insinuating that the sun is shining at NRG Stadium again? And he basically said, you guys can read into it, whatever you want. But we knew what that meant. And it was felt like that universally. It's huh. like a dark cloud 
was lifted. It, what's O'Brien doing these days? Nobody's heard about him or from him. What's he doing? Do you know anything what he's doing? Yeah, he's on the NFL uh, radio every Friday doing oh, uh, doing a show with Pat Kerwin and Jim Miller. Oh, okay. I think he. I don't know if he does predictions, rundown, or what. He walked away with a lot millions of dollars with Ooh, two years yeah. left on his contract, and I I think that Bill will get another job. He won four divisions in six years, won two playoff games. People here are saying, "Oh man, they ought to hire Marvin Lewis." I said, "Bill O'Brien won." two more playoff games than he did and won more divisions than he did. No, you don't want Marvin Lewis. <laughs> and even though he has a totally different personality, but uh, O'Brien wants to coach. Some people think he'd be better in college where you can get away with right. that kind of dictatorship personality. Right. He did a great job at Penn state, went into the worst situation in college football history and did a really good job, but his heart, was always in the NFL, and people say, well, is he going to be an offensive coordinator to give him another chance to be head coach? Well, because of his personality, he would have to work for a really strong head coach like he used to, Bill Belichick, but now that he has a taste of coaching or going into his seventh year, and I don't know that he wants to do that. Couple more questions for John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. You mentioned Marvin Lewis. Houston is already conducting a coaching search for after this season. It came out publicly that uh, Jim Caldwell got an interview. I don't know if that was the first. What do you think Houston is looking for? And although you don't sound like uh, you would approve of Marvin Lewis being hired, do you think there's a shot that he would get an interview? Uh, well, he might get an interview, but they're not good. Like Jim, Bill, the Texans will never say this. I think they're going to hire. Uh, an offensive coordinator, somebody like Eric Bieniemy, Arthur Smith of Tennessee, or a defensive coordinator like Matt Eberflus from Indianapolis, or Robert Sala from San Francisco, who was here for six years under Gary Kubiak. They're not going to give the head coach a final say on personnel like O'Brien had the last two years. They're done with that. It's going to go back to the way it was with Charlie Cashley and Dom Capers, Rick Smith and Gary Kubiak, and Rick Smith and O'Brien for a couple of years before O'Brien was always trying to wrestle away personnel from him, and he finally got it. So they're interviewing guys that are able to interview right now. Lewis Riddick, uh, their own personnel director, Matt uh, Bazard, Jim Caldwell, he can interview. And I think it's smart to interview as many as you can, learn as much as you can about the structure of an organization, in case you don't know or hear good ideas, check out what other people think about your players, your schemes. I would interview as many as I can. I don't think you can get too many opinions. And there's competition out there as well. But what the Texans have to offer is Deshaun Watson, good receivers. They'll re-sign Will Fuller. They have two offensive tackles. They need a running back on offense. And then they need an overhaul on defense. Final question, John. We really appreciate you carving time. It's going to be defense. My pleasure. Defense is going to be a two-parter for you. J.J. Watt, how close is he to when he was defensive player of the year? And the linebacker crew, I always thought the linebackers were damn good down there in, in, in Houston, you know, led by Merciless. And I, I know you've had injuries. Uh, McKinney, I thought, hell of a player against the run. What's, what's happened to the defense overall? And then – I guess more specifically, how was how J.J. Watt playing? Two years ago, they were 11-5. and five. They gave up 82 yards a game rushing. They were third in the league against the run. 
They had Clowney playing opposite Watt. Clowney's not a great pass rusher, but he's great against the run. And he had nine sacks that year. He's never had double digits. They had Kyron Matthew at safety. They didn't pay him. The Chiefs did. O'Brien got mad, didn't think Clowney was serious enough about football, and they weren't going to give him $100 They were already paying Watt. Hundred million. In retrospect, Clowney probably should have taken their seventy-five million because mm-hmm. he's never going to make that. And so, uh, DJ Reader, their nose tackle, as you guys know, they, he could have stayed here for the money they used to re-sign Whitney Merciless. Merciless, like most of the players on this defense and a lot on offense, have not played as well this year as last year for whatever reason. And so that's why they need an overall of the defense. Watt is still their best defensive player. They're good at inside linebacker for next season. They're good at safety. They need at least two corners, two outside linebackers, another nose tackle like DJ Reader, and maybe another defensive end. Watt is not the pass rusher he used to be. He can still get pressure, but without anybody else on their defensive line who's a legitimate NFL starter like Reader and Clowney, he's playing with guys that are be really good backups. Uh, he gets double teamed on every play, and he's he's got five sacks, and he's not the pass rusher he was two years ago playing with those other guys when he had 16. If you're in the car on Christmas Day afternoon driving to or from a family gift exchange, join us for a special Christmas Day edition of the Bengals Pep Rally Show from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. In addition to discussing the Houston game, we'll feature some of this year's best Fun Facts interviews. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde. Merry Christmas, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.